0: You 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 know I D I D in the D in the town all day I D I D in the D in the S E A S-E-A. You, you know I D I D in the D in the town all day I D I D in the D in the S E A
1: S-E-A-A. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton, and I'm Tristan Carcino. Oh wow, we are going real <laughs> low in the mix here, real low in the mix. It's that kind of weekend, as uh. In Seattle sports, as we do an emergency pod here to discuss the University of Washington firing head football coach Jimmy Lake, as well as we will touch on the Seattle Seahawks getting shut out for the first time in the Russell Wilson era, as Wilson returned from his finger injury Sunday at Green Bay. And those, in some ways, the highlights of the weekend. (laughs) Oh, no. As uh, the listener, Chris Wheeler pointed out via DM, is this becoming a candidate for the worst sports week slash weekend in Washington history? UW football loses, Lake fired, Hawks on the verge of being shut out because he sent this before the game was over. Uh, O.L. Rain lost to their playoff game, the NWSL oh, semifinal, to the Washington Spirit 2-1. UW men's hoops at best unimpressive in their first week. The, we we went through it. We concluded it was the worst loss in program history, at least back to there 1949. There we go. We did the 50. math. Uh, UW Men's Soccer, disappointing die versus Oregon State in their oh. season finale. UW Women, the only bright spot at 2-0 in women's basketball and maybe UW Men's and Women's Cross Country, both finishing second at NCAA West Regionals. And as if that sounded bad enough, then he came back a second later with a follow-up DM. Oh, no. Oh, and the Kraken, too.
0: Oh, and <laughs> just the Kraken. <laughs> Plus, have you heard Coldplay's most recent music? Oh, oh. dear. Cool. Uh, I it's a transitional time in
1: Seattle sports. Oh, wow. It's a transitional time in this podcast as we transition to talking about things other than Seattle sports, I think. <laughs>
0: so what year do we have left to remember?
1: Oh, we didn't even mention in the rundown, Odell Beckham Jr. picks the rival LA Rams <laughs> instead of the Seahawks. It's a free agent. <laughs> it's rough, man. It is rough. But obviously, the most impactful of these stories, the decision for the Huskies to fire Jimmy Lake after... 14 games as head coach, one of which he was suspended for on Saturday after striking a player the previous week.
0: It was something that throughout the week, when we talked, uh, when we recorded our State of the Huskies podcast last week, early last week, it was something that didn't seem necessarily certain that Jimmy Lake would be gone for good. Throughout the week, it seemed like the chatter coming from the people in the know within uh, Husky sports media it was done for Jimmy Lake. It, it was clear that that was the case. And-, and it
1: was clear even before the Seattle Times reported on Saturday an incident in 2019 where players had different recollections of the severity, but uh, the generally agreed that he pushed wide receiver Quinton Pounds into a locker in frustration at halftime. And the Huskies oh come, come back win at Arizona that year. The, just that incident... On top of what happened the previous Saturday, I mean, you know, I, I had not necessarily been hoping for Jimmy Lake to be fired before that. At that point, it, the bridge was crossed. It was He could not continue as UW's head coach. He could not coach another game.
0: I would be so curious to hear about that particular. not that it matters anymore. Jimmy Lake's gone. But, like, I would be so curious to hear about that situation from Chris Peterson, who was the head coach at the time.
1: So one of the things that was in that Seattle Times article is the layout of the Arizona locker room not all of the coaches and players saw this. So it's unclear whether Chris Peterson even knew it happened. Uh, and, and certainly the, the athletic department said that they were not aware of that when they heard like his head coach and that it had come up in their investigation, their brief investigation of last Saturday's incident. Someone had mentioned it. So that was the first time certainly we knew about it publicly.
0: It's pretty strange though for the defensive coordinator if he is if he did push Quentin Pounds into a locker, Well the, for the defensive mean, coordinator to be
1: pushing a wide receiver. And the indication was it was frustration with the offense that was responsible for that. So yeah, yeah, not not really head coach behavior. I think even if it's not a big deal necessarily of it in and of itself,
0: it's just a strange thing to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean that was it. Jimmy Lake was done. Like all of these incidents. Ultimately, last Saturday night, against Oregon, their biggest rival, the train fell off the tracks for Jimmy Lake and the SuDUB program. And it's kind of impressive how far it fell. That we saw a program that could have hypothetically in that moment kind of gotten things back together for the season. They would
1: have been tied for the Pac-12 North lead if they had won that game, right?
0: And then to ultimately lead to... Jimmy Lake no longer being the head coach. A little more than a week after that, and eight days and after before, that,
1: after John Donovan had already been fired as offensive coordinator, the day after.
0: I mean, the the whole Husky program. We came into the season ranked in the top twenty-five. And
1: it's hard like, to believe
0: the fall that happened. I think there were some points along the way that pointed towards something being wrong, but ultimately the Jimmy Lake tenure. I don't know if he, I don't know if on the field he got a fair shake necessarily. All of the other stuff surrounding it was bad. Every other aspect of the Jimmy Lake tenure was bad. I mean, it starts with it starts with the recruiting that has pretty much cratered under Jimmy Lake. Recruiting the Northwest. This is something that I know you're very upset about. Not not you're not upset about, about the lack of recruiting. You're upset about people discussing recruiting.
1: It's irrelevant. It's overrated. It's I mean it's not meaningless but it's wildly overrated and we continue to see examples of that on the field week after week is results from players do not match up with their recruiting rankings i'm
0: not sure if i agree with that over Just if you look in, if you week. look in a macro space recruiting rankings and success probably align with each other fairly well
1: they're correlated there are certain programs that have consistently exceeded their recruiting foremost among them chris peterson's programs everywhere he coached
0: it started with the recruiting Then you have the comments about Oregon, which I I think there were a lot of people throughout UW that did not take very kindly to. Uh, And then the losing on the field this season. And really just the general handling of the season. It just felt off. Everything about it felt off. The Dylan Morris, Sam Heward stuff felt off. The way that the offense was run, there was no consistency within who was playing, when they were playing, why they were playing, information that was coming out about the program. This was a problem last year as well. There was a whole COVID outbreak that we did not know about. Well, wow,
1: that's a problem. That's a college football program. I mean, it's that a, is a college football program Washington in general. Program, but then you,
0: you, look at, you look at the team themselves, and I think you still say there's a lot of talent on this UW football team. I think there is... I, I think the talent is worse than it was under the best, the Chris Peterson uh, going to New Year's Six Bowls in four consecutive years. Period. Without question,
1: and in, in at the quarterback position, where a lot of people have, owe a lot of apologies to Jake Browning. Today, every day for the rest of their lives, they owe apologies to Jake Browning. But they also, know who they
0: are. Jake Browning was surrounded by very good skill position players. Yeah. Most of the skill position players that Jake Browning was playing with had NFL they, most of them play
1: for the Miami Dolphins. Now. It's like, or they, the New York giants. If they're wide receivers,
0: you run to the players though. Like John Ross was a first round pick. Dante Pettis was a second round pick. Miles Gaskin, Savon Ahmed, Will Disley, right? Like there, there was so much NFL caliber talent on that team. Linemen who may have necessary, not necessarily panned out at the NFL level, but were very good college linemen and had uh pedigree of, to be very good players. There was so much talent on that offense but also, it's hard to balance recruiting and coaching. Those two things, talent and coaching. And I think that Chris Peterson did everything that was possible, and the program did everything that was possible to put those players in the best situation. This offseason. And, and Jimmy
1: Lake, in his role as defensive coordinator. And there
0: were no, a number of secondary players that went to the NFL. It doesn't mean that you're prepared to be a head coach, though.
1: Yeah, they're different jobs. I I mean, to this point, one thing that Jen Cohen said today in her Zoom availability explaining uh, announcing this change, Echoed what you've said over the course of this season, which, you know, doing it this quickly, quote, goes against my belief as an administrator. And this is paraphrasing from friend of the pod, Christian Capel on Twitter. When when it's obvious something isn't working, she has an obligation to act. And that's basically what you've said. You've made the comparison to Jim Elmora and the Seahawks moving on from him after one season.
0: If if it's not right, you have to make a change as fast as possible, because there's still that talent does exist in this program, and I don't think they're quite at that level. Losing Puka Nakua and players like that this off season, and I think you look at the skill position players. It's but no- it,
1: the wide receivers have actually like been the strength of the offense. I think, I think they've been the best position. What else? I mean, Kate Otten maybe, but he hasn't even played that well. No, no. I mean, I mean nothing on with the has and, worked. and is now injured.
0: Nothing on the offense has worked the entire season. Some things on the defense have worked, but it just isn't working. And the culture isn't working. The recruiting isn't working. No aspect of the Jimmy Lake tenure at UW was working. We can get into why that's the case, but it doesn't ultimately matter why that's the case. And and maybe it does if, there's, if you're going to tell me that there's something poisonous about the UW program. But it is probably this is how college football programs are run now in 2021
1: well that's i think leads to an important point i mean look we we gave the we i don't want to use the term autopsy but we did the the, we looked back on jimmy lake's tenure and where everything went wrong last week i don't think we need to rehash those questions that that podcast is still out there if you want to listen to it
0: what about the conversation about so they didn't move to fire him with cause he was just flat out fired he was fired for performance
1: Yeah, which is disappointing because it means that he is owed the remainder of his salary. And, you know, a number of the articles have pointed to the set-off. And I think in that language in there, which is that, you know, if he is employed in another coaching football in another capacity, the Huskies don't owe him that money. I'm very fascinated to see what Jimmy Lake's career holds. I want to introduce to you Fox Sports analyst Jimmy Lake. (laughs) Well, that's not a set-off. No, that's what I'm saying. That's where he's
0: going. When you you turn on... Fox Fox Pac twelve sports game day or whatever you're gonna be like, whatever spot Jim Elmore
1: was in, all of a sudden Jimmy Lake is in that well, spot. Does yeah. you know who's currently on the Fox Sports podcast?
0: Oh, Rick Neuheisel, Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson. Oh yes. man,
1: if, if he were to take another coaching job, he would be the one that Jimmy Lake well, would maybe replace there's again. One
0: coaching job that Chris Peterson would
1: take, <laughs> uh, but I yeah.
0: I try to tell you there is always money in the football program. There is it is a bottomless pit of money. And that's why this happened. If they were actually that concerned about money, they wouldn't have fired Jim Jimmy Lake.
1: I still think that it's gonna limit how much money you're able to spend on a replacement. I think it's gonna be a limiting factor. I do not think so at all. And I think that's gonna be an issue when we talk about I mean, do you wanna do you wanna get into what comes next for Jimmy Lake? Because it does feel like there's a path where he takes sort of the Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian path of He's an analyst at Alabama, which we know was interested in him as defensive coordinator a few years ago, one of the reasons that he was promoted at UW and received the salary bumps that he did, and then goes and takes another job after that, as Kiffin and Sarkisian did. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, we you can see it right there, what's going to happen to Jimmy Like, I don't know if he was ready to be, this, to be the UW coach in this place, but he's going to go on a rehabilitation tour, and he's going to be an analyst. You said Alabama. What Alabama... I mean, Alabama just always does this. They're very good at it. Yeah. Like Nick Saban is really good at recognizing that Nick Saban is at the top of everything. He can bring in these coaches who have talent, who've had issues elsewhere for one reason or another, but they're still very good at what they do. Have them in a very specific role. That's what Nick Saban is. Nick Saban is football coach, right? Like Nick Saban is not just offense, just defense, just secondary, whatever. Nick Saban is football coach overseeing everything. Never, There's no question about that. And so, therefore, he can have really strong personalities work under him and players and coaches and people with reputations like Steve Sarkeesian, like Lane Kiffin, right? Having those coaches come in for a period of time, rehabilitate their career, and then move off to be head coaches elsewhere. And that is exactly what we're going to see for Jimmy Lake. I'm not saying that it'll necessarily be—I think it's going to be Ohio State, personally. But— You'll see Jimmy Lake maybe in some sort of role, eventually as defensive coordinator, eventually as head coach elsewhere. And he may be successful in that role. It's just for here, right now, this didn't work out. But that's Jimmy Lake's path.
1: Well, Ohio State, I mean, their defensive coordinator is Alex Grinch, the former Washington State defensive coordinator who is someone who's getting mentioned for a lot of jobs. I don't think he's a likely candidate for UW because it feels like, you know, teams tend... Teams generally hire the opposite of what they just fired, and I don't think, given what's happened here, that UW is probably going to go with another first-time head coach. That's my sense. I mean, I think there's one candidate on my list who stands out, aside from despite that. But you know, I, I I expect them to look for someone with head coaching experience at the mid-major level, which is where their most successful hires, Chris Peterson and Don James, in program history, in modern program history, have come from. So, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
0: Alex Grinch is at Oklahoma. Oh. Not, he was at Ohio State, You're then right, at He Oklahoma.
1: left for Ohio State, yes, but he's now at Oklahoma. Which, by the way, their, their, defense, is, no, their defense wasn't the problem on Saturday.
0: Uh, okay, so t- tell me your
1: list. Well, first I think we need to talk about the open coaching jobs. Because that's, I think, a key issue here.
0: How many could there possibly be right now?
1: Well, there are four current Power 5 openings in addition to UW. Okay. One of those is Wazoo. <laughs> uh both both washington schools uh searching for new what coaches what Alex grinch went, went to Wazio? for the second time And th- i think that's that's a very reasonable possibility second time in 3 years that both washington schools are searching for new head coaches at the same time very bizarre uh there are two jobs that are open that are clearly far superior jobs to UW. okay and that's usc sure. and lsu Okay. And there's a third that's going God, to be on that list. All right. Because it is considered overwhelmingly inevitable that Florida will hire fire Dan Mullen, uh-huh. and maybe surprising they didn't do it today. Uh-huh. Uh huh. After a close win versus I believe Sanford. Sanford yes. yes. So TCU is also in the mix. Texas Tech has previously made a coaching change during this season. They've already announced that the hire of uh, an assistant coach from Baylor. So to be. Competing with those three schools, USC, LSU, and Florida in particular, suggests that the hottest coaching candidates are not coming to Utah. Okay. And that's, I think, an important factor in this. I would say that I think there's a comparison to be drawn here. Now, actually, I'm going to get, come back to that. So let's go through my list. Okay. Uh, number one, Utah State coach Blake Anderson. Uh, In his first year at Utah State has led the Aggies to an 8-2 record, spent seven years at Arkansas State where they went to six bowl games, Uh, improved Utah State from 118th in FPI offensive efficiency last year to 61st this season. His two predecessors at Arkansas State were future Auburn coaches Gus Malzahn and Brian Horson. Horson went from Arkansas State to Boise uh, before going to Auburn after just one year there. Uh, He
0: did he end up? What happened with him?
1: I don't know what the resolution of that particular story is, but he's not been Nick Rolovich. They're not on the list of teams teams searching for coaches. Just Rolovich, not Nick Rolovich. Fine. Yeah. Uh, Anderson. Now I don't know what his. I couldn't find the buyout in his contract. The fact that he's in his first year might make it a little more difficult for him to change jobs. Uh, and and wasn't able to attract uh, a bigger job during his time at Arkansas State, but certainly I think someone who's on the list based on this success this year at Arkansas, uh, Utah State, I should say.
0: Offensive guy. Yes. Uh, former quarterback, has basically only coached on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Which, you know, we haven't talked about what we're looking for. I think very clearly. The, I mean, you talk about Alex Grinch coach.
0: as somebody who... Guy, I don't—Alex Grinch seems intriguing,
1: but also he seems exactly the same as Jimmy Lake. <laughs> I don't know about exactly the same. I mean, the other coach that, for a variety of reasons, I didn't think made the list, but is an intriguing name, is Andy Avalos, who replaced Harson at Boise State, played at Boise State actually before Chris Peterson, but coached there briefly overlapped with Peterson. But he's only been there for one year, and has he also has the defensive background.
0: I mean, Alex Grinch is somebody who— primarily he was a defensive coordinator primarily coached the secondary kind of had these jobs he ended up having slightly bigger I mean you go from Ohio State to Oklahoma
1: he took right. the path that Jimmy like didn't take partially because of the fact that you know UW is able to step up you know the salary more in a way that wazoo can't for a and, coordinator and if
0: Chris Peterson was entrenched if Chris Peterson hadn't left that might have been where Jimmy like went Yep. Yeah. but it, it's just it feels like we need to do something a little different
1: right that was, that was part of my tech. Uh, Coastal Carolina coach Jamie Chadwell, I okay. think would be one of the higher end possibilities for the Huskies, led the Chanticleers to an 11-0 and regular season in his second year as a full-time FBS head coach in 2020. He had previously coached one year in 2017 in an interim role after being named offensive coordinator entering in that season. And Coastal Carolina was ranked this year before a loss Saturday dropped them to 8-2. and two. They are still number five in the country this season in FBI offensive efficiency. Hello. So that is very intriguing. At Coastal Carolina. At Coastal Carolina. Huh. Okay. All right, next on the list. We've talked a lot about this coach's team this season, but never said his name.
0: Fresno State?
1: I actually, I should have double-checked how it's pronounced. Kaitlin uh, DeBoer. Okay. Who's in his second year as head coach of the Bulldogs after replacing former UW consultant Jeff Tedford. As Fresno State's head coach, he had served his offensive coordinator Tedford's first two years before taking another job the third year that Tedford coached there and has former Husky quarterback Jake Hader. Hello. Playing at a high level during an eight and three season for Fresno State. Okay. There's a lot of Mountain West coaches on this list. All right. The one name on my list without any head coaching experience, and maybe this is too optimistic Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore.
0: Do you think there's a chance?
1: I, I mean, You would think he's a candidate for NFL head coaching jobs based on the Cowboys' success this season. They're number three in offensive DVOA, entering today when they dominated offensively against Atlanta uh, after ranking second in 2019, which are the two seasons he's coached with a healthy Dak Prescott. Clearly, there was some level of interest in coming to UW in 2019 after Bush Hampton was fired. And that's, to me, kind of the great, you know, two paths diverged. As a coordinator, there was interest. Yeah, is an offensive coordinator. If somehow he had taken that job instead of hiring John Donovan as offensive coordinator, is today happening? I don't think so. Um, Prosser native, and he would represent the continuity choice here because he played for Chris Peterson at Boise State, obviously, and with three members of the current UW coaching staff. Uh, could also bring back his brother Kirby, who is coaching wide receivers at Fresno State after serving as an analyst at UW briefly. <laughs> so... Uh, like I said, if you want to like, let's get back to, let's not change directions from the Chris Peterson direction, Kellen Moore is the reasonable candidate to say, again, I don't think Andy Aviles is leaving Boise but, after one year. But
0: also, Kellen Moore is a different, he has a different background than Chris Peterson has. Absolutely. He is an offensive coach, and he he's somebody who... You know, I think the Cowboys have a lot of talent on offense. They, but, they like, definitely have a lot of they're, talent. they're running a modern offense with the Cowboys. He's not trying to do it by getting back to the basics or whatever. I think they actually run the ball quite a bit. But, like, you would expect is going to come in almost Sark style, right? Like, and, and look at overhauling the offense, making sure that they were running, like, a pro-style offense with a lot of talent at all of the skill positions.
1: And I think if your belief is that... Sam Heward is an elite quarterback prospect, and we need to do everything we can to analyze. Yeah, yes. Uh, Maximize Sam Heward. Kellen Moore is the guy to do that. I mean, obviously, this list is pretty offensively biased for the reasons that we've laid out. But he foremost, I think, among them in terms of, you know, that that offensive success at a high level.
0: He he would be the one of of those coaches you're talking about
1: who... The, the
0: boosters and people like that, everybody around the program would be excited about, though.
1: Oh, I was going to summarize at the end. Oh, okay. That he's the only—this is my concern about the list, is he is the only name on this list. There are other names I like, but he's the only one that I would actually be like, okay, we're definitely headed in the right direction now.
0: If Kellen Moore is the coach. Yes. Still would be pretty young as an NFL head coach. I understand that, that the trend is moving younger for NFL head coaches, in particular, like, offensive-minded head coaches, but— he It still feels like maybe he's a year away from being an NFL head coach. But it's like, he's the offensive coordinator of the Dallas fucking Cowboys. Like, there's still a legit chance that he wins a Super Bowl this year. That is all correct. Being the head coach of the University of Washington is probably not a better job than that.
1: Unless you really want to get back home as a native of Prosser.
0: Oh, yeah. How far
1: we? <laughs> I mean, Boise was obviously much closer to Prosser, but, you know.
0: But we still, because of Chris Peterson, the Boise State connection. Exactly. Yes.
1: All right, uh, next up, Nevada coach Jay Norvell in his fifth season in Reno after previous experience as a coordinator at both, offensive coordinator is both at both Arizona State and UCLA, or I guess one of those, he was a passing game coordinator at Arizona State, I should say, the offensive coordinator at UCLA. Wolfpack have gone 14-5 and the last two seasons, including a win at Cal to open this season.
0: Are you seeing these names anywhere else, or this is a list that you've culled together yourself?
1: Combination of both.
0: Okay. Could do you, you just you just looked at the Mountain West? <laughs> I did, and was, just scrolled
1: through the coaches doing well. Well, not San Diego State, which so they beat Nevada last night and now have the inside track to play against Utah State who in is the conference coach? championship game. I was like, hey, who does coach San Diego State? Is it someone who's an up and comer? Oh, it's Brady Hoke, the former Michigan coach. Oh wow! So I I don't see that one happening. It's also way too dependent on punting. Uh huh. Uh, and then the last name I have is BYU coach Kalani Sitake, who was the defensive co- coordinator at both Utah and Oregon State before being named the head coach of his alma mater ahead of the 2016 season. Kind of up and down the first four years, I think, at BYU, but then they broke through with a, an 11-1 season in 2020. And despite losing number two pick Zach Wilson, they have started this season 8-2 and two and are currently ranked number 14 in the AP, number 15 in the coaches' pool. So unclear if he's someone who yeah. is going to leave... BYU, where you do have a high degree of resources, but not a conference, which has been a challenge for them. Uh, this is maybe a little closer to the Chris Peterson path of if I'm only if I'm going to leave here, it's got to be for the right situation that I feel good about having a chance to be successful, and you know, not necessarily maybe looking for the the biggest schools.
0: Is is there okay? So who are the you see more of this chatter than I do? Who are the wildest dreams? People that are being thrown out there that you're seeing?
1: Well, I mean, the wildest dream for the schools above UW's level is James Franklin. Uh-huh. I mean, now coming to UW. Okay.
0: Where's sense. he at Vanderbilt right now? Penn State. Oh, he's still at Penn State. <laughs> yes. He was previously at Vanderbilt. Is he leaving Penn? But why would he... Is he going to get fired? No,
1: because USC or OSU or Florida might throw the throw the fucking bag at James Franklin there's, there's a handful of Power 5 coaches who are seen as possibilities to, to change schools. He's He obviously is foremost among that group. Is he
0: really coming off of good seasons? That's the thing that really concerns me about these coaches is it, it's so hard to tell, right? You see this in basketball all the time. Like the list that you put together is very much a college basketball list, right? It is... Coaches who've excelled at smaller places, who are ready to be elevated, and it's—I think—it is almost impossible to tell if you're going to get whatever the next Urban Meyer moving up or something like that. Like a lot of the, Sorry.
1: the next, you mean the next Chris Peterson? Video. But
0: Chris Peterson was already so established. All right, fair.
1: I mean, Urban Meyer had had gone to a BCS game, right?
0: It still felt like like Chris Peterson had done it on a big stage for quite a few yes, years. Yes, that's fair. Uh, but like you, you don't necessarily know if you're getting the next coach who's ready to move up, or if you're getting a coach who's like they they had one good season and now they're getting hired. Right. And that to me is that's kind of the biggest concern is how you tell the underlying like seeing that Coastal Carolina is the number five offense by FBI. Do they have a random like NFL caliber quarterback or something? Like, is there anything there outside of scheme that? I mean, I don't make- think
1: they have Zach Wilson. I wouldn't say that like he's not in he's not like a first round prospect if, as far as i know
0: that to me would be more interesting is somebody who seems like they're doing stuff beyond but i think it's just when you're dealing with those sort of things it's kind of a crapshoot oh, and yeah. and i think oftentimes like if one of these coaches don't get a job next year they'll fade back to seven and six or whatever
1: i mean that's already happened i think with some of the coaches who are on this list at the start of the year i mean the, so the other coach some of the other coaches that are mentioned uh, Justin Wilcox has gotten mentioned a fair bit. Oof, no. And it, yeah, he it, it doesn't feel like, you know, hiring a coach who is a coach a program who is at a lower level than you. And has not much, done well. As much respect as I have for Justin Wilcox yeah. and also going back to a defensive background. Uh-huh. Not not the idea for me. Uh, Iowa State ca- coach Matt Campbell is one who's mentioned as a possible move up from a Power 5 school. Okay. And that, I think, is one where he's more likely for those schools ahead of UW. Okay. Um <laughs> uh, the ESPN list also has Jonathan Smith. I don't. That's think what Jonathan I was going to ask. Jonathan Smith, his alma mater, to coach elsewhere in the Pac-12. Ed
0: Orgeron. Ed Orgeron
1: is is an interesting option. I don't feel like he's a cultural fit for what the UW athletic department is looking for. I mean, I think that is a thing where, as much as everyone went out of their way to mock Jimmy Lake for his comments about Oregon, which again were indefensible and factually untrue. There is something different about the University of Washington in the way that they approach football, and the way that LSU and Florida approach football, and that I think is going to affect who they hire as this coach, and is one reason that Chris Peterson was such a uniquely perfect candidate for UW, because of his ability to develop players academically as well as on the field.
0: In order, a lot of these coaches that you mentioned aren't that young, like, and, and, and Orgeron is six years old. Yeah, whatever. I mean, that's
1: the disappointment. Like, Jay Norvell makes a lot of sense in terms of experience coaching and recruiting in the Pac-12. Offensive background has shown a consistent track record of success at a mid-major. He's 58, so he's not exactly someone you're hiring for the next two decades here. But I, we'll see if that coach is available. Uh, Joe Moorhead gets mentioned a lot. To me, it it's on. very unlikely that UW is going to hire a coach who attempted to run up the score against them in the final seconds a week ago. I just, but that's just me. I don't feel like that's a cultural fit to me. I think you're really overrating that. If it bothered me, I'm betting it bothered the Jen Cohen a lot more than me, because she's more invested in the outcome of that game than I am.
0: Okay. there's still There's definitely something to... There's something to going to Oregon and taking their offensive coordinator. Like, Oregon has this amazing offense or whatever that they have built this year.
1: They have a good offense. And taking their offensive coordinator. Their offense isn't as good as Coastal Carolina's.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it's very different. Like, what Oregon is doing on offense is radically different than what UW has done on offense basically ever, you know? Like, we've almost, it's sort of an organ thing at this point, is having an offense based around the run game. It's not something that we've almost ever seen from UW. And, like, when we have had offenses that are based around the run game, it's all about, like, smash-mouth running football. But Sam Hewitt I mean, might not be the right fit for that.
1: The Sarkiers, those teams ran the ball extremely effectively.
0: But not, like, as as the quarterback doing it in plays like that.
1: Yeah, they didn't necessarily have that style of player. <laughs>
0: Joe Moorhead also has experience coaching in the SEC. He was not terrible in the SEC. No, he went. He, he he coached two years at Mississippi State and went to bowl games both years.
1: I think his firing was an example of something we're seeing. Which the reason, by the way, that all these coaching jobs are available is because of the fact that college coaching, as I've said before, it's increasingly becoming like soccer, European soccer, where you're just constantly blaming coaches and looking for the next coach to come in and save things.
0: Has Michael Lynch been significantly better? than joe moorhead
1: probably not no
0: i mean you look at joe moorhead he's somebody who he did the thing of coaching in a smaller school being elevated to the sec not a major school in the sec had two years with some moderate success and then was fired he's doing the the basically going back to the coordinator level restarting his career and is going to be looking for a head coaching job if you have that opportunity already with some tenure in the northwest i think you could probably recruit uh having coached in the sec i think there's a conversation about his ability to recruit at the very least and he knows Oregon as well
1: yeah i'm telling you i would be very surprised by it i mean i've been surprised before i mean look let's be clear The list that we put together, uh, whatever list I put together when Lorenzo Romar got fired, Mike Hopkins was not on that list because I was not looking at the assistant coach at Syracuse who had already been promised the job to succeed Jim Bayhive.
0: It does feel like like Mike Leach has gone to Mississippi State and they've been ultimately about the same team as they were in a Joe Moorhead.
1: Well, I think programs typically find their level is my philosophy on these things. But the other thing I want to say that I feel is a comparison that concerns me about this this hiring process is, and again, I don't want to compare this decision to fire Jimmy Lake, which I think was the absolutely the right decision at this point. But when UW hi- fired June Doherty in two thousand seven, uh, Todd Turner here, here's a, a quote from the Seattle Times story: Among the issues that prompted Turner to make the decision, and see if these sound familiar: declining attendance at games a lack of sustained postseason success. I mean, that one's a little different here. The loss of top in-state high school recruits to other universities and an unsatisfactory return on university investment in the women's program. So Todd Turner had the philosophy that UW is a big school. We're gonna go out and hire a great coach and make women's basketball our flagship women's program the way it had been at the schools he was previously at, Stanford, Vanderbilt. That year, the other coaching changes, Texas had an opening. They hired Gail Gaston from Duke, Duke then had an opening. They hired Joanne P. McCauley from Michigan State. Michigan State had an opening. They hired Eastern Michigan coach Susie Merchant, who actually was the most successful of those three hires. UW didn't get any of these top candidates and instead hired Duke assistant Tia Jackson. And the program sank substantially until they were able to replace her with Kevin McGuff a few years later. And he was more this mid-major coach, had been at Xavier, uh, at, who had you know established success at that level and then used UW as a stepping stone to end up at Ohio State, but left the program in a much better state than he found it. But it took a while because they aimed higher then they they actually belonged in the pecking order.
0: And there's no there's no Chris Peterson out there?
1: There's no Chris Peterson out there.
0: <sighs> Do you think that the element of being able to... You would say that Sam Hewitt is not not an interesting quarterback at all?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I mean, look, here's what I'm going to say about this. I'm an Occam's Razor <laughs> guy. We have two co- sets of coaches now, two sets of offensive coordinators who... You know, Sam Heward, we saw him play on Saturday and rotate snaps with Dylan Morris, but they didn't start him ahead of Dylan Morris. They tr- trusted Dylan Morris with all the important possessions. And even though Sam Heward was limited by the field position when he was in there, the the drive that they had were, that was an extended run, he did nothing but hand the ball off. And then they had to remove him at the goal line because he's incapable of taking snaps under center and bringing Dylan Morris to hand the ball off for the final play of that drive. So... I think if you had an offseason, that none of this is to indicate that Sam Heward can't be everything that we hope he can be, but at this point, the idea that he is this amazing quarterback that the offense that the coaching staff is burying, he's currently this amazing quarterback that the coaching staff is burying, is complete fantasy whisk casting. Uh if you had an offseason to remake the program around his skills and bring in more of a spread attack and a lot more of a shotgun based attack to play to the fact that he apparently doesn't isn't comfortable taking snaps under center that might be a different situation but i do i think that's more attractive than usc and florida and lsu no those could those kind of quarterback prospects grow on trees at usc
0: i i it's fine i agree i mean i think ultimately the issue with uw this year we saw it like play calling was probably better they passed the ball more yesterday i think they just don't have good enough players on offense They can't block well enough. They don't have good enough receivers. They don't have good enough running backs. And they don't have a good enough quarterback. Like, that's what it came down to. That's it in the end. We can talk about why that's the case or how we got here. But somehow we got to the place where UW offensively does not have good enough players, does not have good enough players on the D-line, does not have good enough players pretty much across the board, and they are a worse team than Arizona State. They are a worse team than Oregon. They are not as good as those teams, and that's why they lost the game. There's no myth. There's no magic to it. There's nothing else. They have worse
1: players. Mm, They also have no home field advantage whatsoever.
0: It doesn't matter. I'm telling you that those things do not matter. It comes down to they have worse players than the other team. In this moment, those players may have the potential to become better players in a different situation. But in this very moment, they have worse players. So the I, the ones that intrigue me the most are obviously Kellen Moore as, like, best case scenario. You go get Kellen Moore. I mean, I think for this search, they've got a little bit of time. I think they pretty much need to go out and they need to look far and wide. Right, they need to have this conversation and really get a sense of. I do like, love as
1: always that it's described in the press release as a national coaching search. <laughs> like, they're... I guess it wasn't a national coaching search when you promoted Jimmy yeah, Lake one day search. later. That was pretty local, but you know, also why not look international? Maybe there's someone in the CFL right now. Oh, trust I me, don't even know about. <laughs> That's where Jeff Tedford was. There we go. Fresno State <laughs> went out and found him.
0: Uh, the but they they have a little bit of time to make this decision right. I think that they are going to have whatever kind of money they need to have, and maybe it won't be USC, LSU money necessarily, but they're going to be able to find the money to do this. Again, the football program is a bottomless pit of money. I mean, I the question is whether they endless money and they do not pay the players.
1: The question is whether you can afford to do what they did when they hired Rick Neuheisel, which is someone who is at seemingly a comparable university at that point in terms of football tradition. I just,
0: I don't know who the coach is. That's the problem. There aren't good schools in the country. Like, you look around the West Coast of the country in football, who are the good schools? Name one. Well, they're in the Mountain West. But they're not. They are not. There's no Chris, there's no Rick Neuheisel out there. There's no Chris Peterson out there. I think there could be
1: a Rick Neuheisel out there.
0: You think there, but like... A coach who's been to a New Year's Six Bowl, right? Rick Neuheisel had been to a Rose Bowl at that point, right? Or something like that.
1: You are technically wrong, but very technically they had not played. I mean, they, Colorado didn't go to the Rose Bowl. They were in the Big 12 at that point. Okay. They had played in the Cotton Bowl and the Holiday Bowl and finished both of those seasons ranked in the top ten.
0: I mean, like, that's that's where Rick Neuheisel was. The idea that Dub could go get a coach like that— is there those coaches do not exist.
1: But again, I think people expect that UW is going to get a coach Who? like that.
0: That's the problem. That is the the hardest I, thing. I'm not saying that they should they should have fired Jimmy Lake,
1: but the person literally does not exist. That's the that's the crux of the problem. Is you're competing against ghosts. They're trying to hire a ghost. I mean, Chris Peterson's very much alive. So the, he's not a ghost, but I, I and I have assumed do you think I, I didn't put him on my list. Any
0: chance that Chris Peterson comes back?
1: Again, the reason – everything that's happened the last two years is all of the things that Chris Peterson wanted to get the fuck away from when he left college football coaching. So I would put it at a 0.1% chance.
0: Wow. Okay. I'm going to look at the the top 25 and see if there's anybody who seems like – like.
1: I mean, there's also – I didn't mention the UTSA I coach. I is
0: ranked number 14. You did say
1: – yeah, I mean, Kalani Sataki has had a couple of solid seasons here.
0: And San Diego State. Like, teams well, that are, are... I don't think Brady Hook is going to be a candidate. I'd
1: be surprised
0: if that was the direction UTSA, they were. UTSA, <laughs> who's their coach? It's just, like, one of these things where... the Like, the power of college football is so dominated around the SEC and the Big Ten and the the Midwest and the Southeast that, like any coach who would even be intrigued by the UW job
1: is going to those places instead?
0: Yes. I mean, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. Their head coach is named uh, Jeff Traylor.
0: Bring it on. Let's go, Jeff Trailer.
1: Yeah. Spent uh, 15 years, spent several, most of his time coaching in high school in Texas. Intriguingly.
0: There are a lot of schools in Texas in the top 25. <laughs>
1: In very few schools in Washington, I do. Well, and also very few schools called the, the University cool. of Texas. Oh well, well yes. By the way, I, I saw that uh, Tom Herman was trending yesterday. This Texas fans were What's so upset Tom about something. What's Tom Herman starting. doing right now? It's like you know the offense has been awesome. The problem is actually the defensive coordinator they uh-huh. hired away from Udonis. <laughs>
0: I'm telling. I think Jimmy Lake could go to Texas as well. I wouldn't be shocked if Jimmy
1: Lake is he be, to Texas. Wait, wait, wait. Are they firing him or are they giving his... I think Pique they can Kelsey bring both giving, of them. Co-DCs. He's giving up his title again. Wow. Uh, do we want to have the Gen Cohen discussion? Because UW, uh, the revenue sports, are in a very bad place. As bad of a place as they have jointly been in a very, very long time. Because one thing I've noted that historically, UW men's basketball tends to be up when UW football is down and vice versa. And this year... They are both down and we're looking at the possibility of neither a bowl game nor an NCAA tournament appearance uh, for the first time in a long period of time. I think 2007 was the last time that both neither of those things happened. So, uh, obviously, I think UW in that sense is kind of a microcosm of the Pac-12 where like if you look at the rest of the athletic department, things are thriving. Men's soccer, unprecedented heights Softball, consistently amazing Volleyball, always a contender Crew, outstanding, etc But no one cares about those things People care about how the football and men's basketball teams are doing And those are the sports that generate revenue for the athletic department It's incumbent on them to be successful To allow those other sports to thrive And that is that is very much a failure right now Uh-huh
0: I don't know. What do you want me to say about it? Like, I I don't even really feel like we know what Jen Cohen is evaluated by. Like, those metrics are not public metrics necessarily. Like, I understand that the football program and the basketball program being down are, to the general public, the most important thing, but to the powers that be at the University of Washington, I do not know what she's being judged by.
1: I mean, I think the revenue is a huge aspect of it, the financial element of it. But, you know, to everyone saying... You know, Jen Cohen can't hire because of the fact that her football and men's basketball coaches have flopped and also women's basketball hiring Jody Wynn after Mike Neighbors went to Arkansas uh, was a disappointment before she was let go. And you know Tina Langley off to a, a better 2-0 start against weaker opposition to uh, start her tenure. I think just because those are the most important doesn't necessarily make them any more predictive, especially because all of us thought that Jimmy Lake was a great hire when he was promoted in 2019. Well, I don't know if
0: anybody thought that he was a great hire. He was the obvious hire.
1: I think he was okay. We thought he was the right hire. You don't think
0: that? No, I, I think that he was the general consensus is the right hire. It was basically just like, Jimmy Lake is the only person... I mean, Chris Peterson basically left to give the job to Jimmy Lake. Right. Like, I don't... I'm... I It's tough to really even judge the decision at all because it was just so completely handoff.
1: And the Hopkins one is a fascinating decision because if you looked at it two years into his tenure when he took the players that Lorenzo Romar hadn't gotten to the NCAA tournament with and took them to the NCAA tournament and a victory there, it seemed genius. People praised it at that point. And that's how quickly these things can turn, where two years later, we're wondering whether the same thing is going to happen at the end of the season with men's basketball
0: maybe uh, Scott Woodward will uh, give Ed Orgeron some positive thoughts about the University of Washington (laughs) as he fired him. Be like, maybe he'll foist him. (laughs) I don't
1: know if that's how it works. I don't think Scott Woodward has that kind of pull around here anymore. It does. Unless Mark Emmert gets foisted upon us, too. (laughs) Bring it on,
0: Mark (laughs) Uh, It does feel like, with, like, a uh, person like Scott Woodward or somebody like that, like they're they're operating way more on the national level than somebody like Jen Cohen is,
1: in terms of like perception and reputation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. With I that. mean, Jen Cohen is not going to be leaving for an SEC school.
1: It doesn't seem likely now.
0: So, I but I again, I don't know. I do not know exactly what what they're really judging her on. Would I be shocked if Jen Cohen was also let go of? And this year, That the chances of them firing both the head football coach and the head basketball coach are extraordinarily high. Obviously, 50% of that is done, but like the chances of them also letting go of Mike Hopkins seem like a very high possibility this year.
1: I mean, you think this money just keeps shaking from the trees, so I don't know.
0: I don't know how to tell you this. They do not pay the players. The TV deals are still massive.
1: They, like, but they they don't pay the players the same amount when they have the stadium full and go to a, a New Year's Six game as I, they don't pay the players when there's thirty thousand of us there watching them lose in the rain to God. Arizona State. It is.
0: I was thinking we should probably get rid of our UW tickets. Is that a bad idea? <sighs> this is for. Uh, this is directed toward <laughs> who who does the hiring for presidents and the chancellors of the University of Washington.
1: I assume there's a board. A board,
0: whatever. It did strike me yesterday that, like, w- why are we maintaining... We could just go to our seats. We could find the cheapest possible tickets that oh, there oh, are. I'm
1: sorry. We Well, okay. The single game on the secondary market. We already have the cheapest possible tickets there are. But
0: I, I'm saying, like, we could just... Buy tickets, single dingham tickets when we want to go on the secondary market. You don't have to go to Arkansas State if you don't want to go to Arkansas State or pay for that. And then we just walk to the seats. <laughs> like, who's going to stop us from going to the seats that we've been to? Well, if we announce Nobody
1: this, will know. If we announce this publicly.
0: <laughs> well, nobody will know one way or another. We won't follow up on this conversation. It's just a thought at this point. Okay. But, like, it did It did strike me as all of this was happening as, like, a real-time thing for the university, it was not a thought that would have crossed my mind two years ago. And now this is a thought
1: but where— the problem, Part of the problem is it already crossed the thoughts of a lot of people two years ago when their season ticket holder base was down substantially from 2017, despite the fact that they were still a very good team.
0: I, I don't know what's wrong with the University of Washington overall. But I think I think that the the, the whole institution is trying to basically have it both ways. They're trying to be both like a, a, a research institution, right, and be able to go out and not necessarily like represent the community at large in the Seattle area and also have these things like important football and basketball programs. And I'm not sure if those two things balance each other out. Like as, as a university, it's a problem that I'm sure many other universities are having, and it's not necessarily an issue that a place like Oregon is facing as much, right? Right. Like, there are not people, obviously Oregon is up right now, but even when they are down, I don't think the amount of people who are just, like, done with the school, I don't think it was the same. And I think it's it's all too easy to just be like, you know what, fuck this, about University of Washington sports. You said that the Kraken were ahead of UW basketball on your pecking order for Seattle sports. Well, like, I may
1: have to reevaluate depending on how long this Kraken losing streak goes.
0: It's not concerned with just barely beating Northern Arizona or whatever. I mean, that one, that win was just enough. The like Minnesota Wild. Where did they rank it versus Northern Arizona? Maybe I'm
1: not going to stream anything while I'm
0: watching NBA games. <laughs> the NBA will never hurt me as a person from Seattle. Oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, God, I still, I still think when we talk about the worst sports week of all time, losing a team, a team being gone forever. Oh uh, no, this is a fair point because that's always going to be the worst sports week. As a Seattle sports fan, is when the Sonics move. It cannot get worse than that unless another team moves. But like, <clears throat> could U move? I don't know.
1: If was, I don't know if I'd miss him at this point. Wow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> still a gorgeous view when it's September. Not so much in the rain last Th- night. That's
0: the other piece is like the last two games have been just the way that they've lost. We didn't even talk about the game. Like the way that they've lost the last two games. which just a horrible place. I guess that more happened after we left on, on, on Saturday. But moments where you're just like, we need to leave immediately because of what had just happened. We were out of the stadium by the time that pick six was returned. <laughs> On the Dylan Moore's pass, I don't think we got out that fast. No, we were out. We were out of our seats. We were out of the out of the bleachers, and just it poured rain two consecutive weeks. Like there could not have been a worse experience than being at those games. So I don't blame people necessarily for not wanting to go.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the Seahawks? God, Russell sending Carol. Bring
0: us Kellen Moore. Bring us Joe Moorhead.
1: We're very split on the Joe Moorhead hire. I I, I ranked Joe Moorhead on my list below Jim Elmora, who no. 30, you doing job. Below Jim Elmora. He's <laughs> it a lob. I would I would you know <laughs> He's also one at the UCF. How Pac-12 are there not line.
0: more former UW players who ended up as coaches? It is shocking. I went
1: looking around for that. I was like, well, there's gotta be somebody from the coaching staff who's ended up like a hot offensive coordinator or something. And it's like, uh, Marcus Tuyasobo is an offensive coordinator now oh, at, at Rice. Okay. Uh, they have not been super successful offensively this season. It's his first year. We'll give him time.
0: That's kind of wild though. There's like a whole nineties generation of UW football players that none of them ended up coaching.
1: And they're all broadcasting UW games on it's the radio. Kind of wild uh yeah so uh seahawks oh god russell wilson and Pete carroll were very clear afterwards that they didn't think that russell wilson's finger was a factor that he just missed some throws i i think it, at the very least the fact that you were not able to practice football for four weeks during the middle of the season was really not an ideal way why were
0: they going out of there what is the law I, they just don't want to make excuses they don't want to be like fucking LeBron James or whatever. They get eliminated and his hand happened to be broken, right? That's not Russell Wilson's mentality. He wants to put it on himself, which I really I really appreciate about him. But also, he's wrong. <laughs>
1: we don't have to believe it. Look, we don't have to believe a lot of the things Russell Wilson says. Uh, but yes, we don't have to believe this because we've seen Russell Wilson play football before. And even though it's generally gone poorly in Green Bay... The way it went, like, just lobbing that throw over Tyler Lockett's head by five feet when it's a simple Tyler Lockett out, that doesn't normally happen.
0: And there were a number of throws that he missed.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just the one that sticks out in my memory because they replayed it a couple of times.
0: Like, I mean, the ball that he threw, to he's made some bad decisions before in the last couple of years, but like...
1: And I do think there was an element, so Joe Barry was the assistant head coach last year for the Rams, has brought a very similar scheme to the Brandon Scaly scheme to Green Bay this season. And you saw again that issue of there weren't a lot of deep shots available in the Seahawks, especially because they were trailing throughout this game, got impatient, and that's why Russ throws the ball into double coverage in the end zone and gets picked off there. Not the first pick, the second pick.
0: That was just forcing it, though.
1: But like, that's the thing that's exactly what that defense is designed.
0: Yeah. I. But it, they haven't been successful this year. <laughs> I,
1: well, I, I they thought, haven't been successful because teams have run on them, generally speaking.
0: I thought they called okay plays. No, I don't feel like...
1: I, I feel like Shane Waldron was doing the things we want Shane Waldron to do. It just didn't work.
0: Yeah. Because Russell Wilson wasn't right.
1: And there's also <laughs> some concern about Dwayne Brown, who left this game with a groin injury, was blown by for a sack before that. I don't know that the Dwayne Brown we had the last two seasons, he's at that same level anymore. And that's that's a significant concern going forward.
0: It was one of those games where you're like, I actually could have done with a few more runs, which is not something that you say very often after a Seahawks game. But there were times where it's like, they, they definitely could have run the ball a little bit more in a couple of situations and would not have been upset about it. They also were screwed by the referees many times. Uh, I don't know if it would have made a difference in the end. I mean, they didn't score a fucking point. So, like, you can't really blame the referees that much. I think there's some game play stuff that would have looked different. But, like, the ball that Kevin King picked off, he dropped the ball. It was an incomplete pass. I do not buy what anybody said about that one. Uh, and also the first down that Russ had. I mean, it, we didn't see the fumble that Taylor recovered. Uh, he clearly, he recovered the ball. Maybe there's some sort of football language that if both he and Rodgers were in the mix, you're going to give it to Rodgers or whatever. But Daryl Taylor did recover the ball.
1: I mean, I don't think that we, it's a good philosophical point to make it like whoever is the strongest and rips the ball away gets the ball. Like, that's but you probably just not... give
0: it to the unvaccinated quarterback? Like,
1: <laughs> what do you mean? How but, is that
0: a good thing? I, I haven't
1: seen anything about vaccination in the on-field rule book. <laughs> But I have. It seems to go
0: the Packers' way. It's just the way that it goes when you play in Green Bay. All calls, they're just like, Green Bay is undefeated at home this year. It's like, no fucking shit. Green Bay is undefeated at home this year. And somehow you still have seen... This is the way that Green Bay is. They don't play well, and then they win games. It is the most frustrating thing, because everybody knows Green Bay is not actually that good of a team. Like, we all know this fact to be true. And then they just win games. They have no business being 8-2. They beat the Seahawks because it was at Lambeau and because Russell Wilson was still injured. They didn't play that well in this game. I gotta say, defense didn't do bad. There, there were a couple oh, very of moments. Solid. There were a couple of moments for the defense, uh, and you know AJ Dell, AJ Dylan in short yardage situations. Although they stopped him a couple of times in short yardage, over time they eventually uh, allowed those couple of touchdowns. But it was like. The game was pretty much over at that point. Carlos Dunlap, I'm telling you, I think Carlos Dunlap should be released.
1: Because he threw a shoe?
0: Because he's not good and he threw a shoe. These two things being true at the same time. It's just like Jimmy, like, you you can be bad or you can strike a player, but you can't do both. You can be bad and you can throw a shoe, but you can't do both.
1: I think Carlos Dunlap's underlying stats (laughs) suggest he's playing better than his actual sacks suggest. Is
0: that true? Because I've never once seen Carlos Dunlap with pressure this season.
1: I'm pretty sure he's got actually as many of them as Daryl Taylor over the course of the season.
0: No way. That cannot I mean, be. I
1: mean, no, that's not an official stat, so different sites uh, would list different things for that, but that's my recollection is that those two were almost identical. Uh, pro Football Reference, well, no, I guess it does not have that. They have him with nine tied for second on the team with Rasheem Green and Kerry Heider, 11 for Daryl Taylor.
0: That's, it's not, not terrible. No. The number. Uh... Also, can we defend a fucking screen pass? Like, that's that's the thing about this Packers offense, is it's all garbage offense. There was no like
1: I don't think that is garbage offense against the Seahawks. That's maybe just it's the not offense. garbage
0: offense against the Seahawks, but it is garbage offense ultimately. And they didn't they didn't run the ball that well. They just hit us with screen pass after screen pass after screen pass, and it kept working. Yeah. But you know, I mean like, that's what every
1: team should do against the Seahawks. I would recommend it to at every. At some point team. they
0: might figure it out. You take away the Carlos Dunlap shoe throw, the the Seahawks may have had a chance to get the ball back down
1: ten. It was already ten nothing on that drive, wasn't it? No, I think that was that was the three nothing
0: drive. I think it was three nothing. Okay. And then they scored the touchdown there. They may have had a chance to get the ball back down six. I don't know if they're scoring a touchdown. Look, they didn't do it at all game. So.
1: Yep, uh, Wilson ended up averaging you know, four yards per attempt,
0: but which is not good. This was definitely up there with the worst Russell Wilson performances, and I think it's pretty easily explainable. Coming back from injury after being off for four weeks.
1: Yeah, uh, now the Dunlap penalty was on their second touchdown drive. Are you sure? Uh, no, I guess I guess maybe I you know, I am right. You I am wrong. You are correct. That was on their first touchdown drive.
0: I mean, that was it. Was a crippling penalty.
1: It would have been third and three for Green Bay at the Seahawks 42.
0: That is a huge penalty. Yeah. Like that play is almost as important as the couple of other plays that didn't go the Seahawks way. It's definitely more important than the Russell Wilson non-first down on the first drive.
1: Yes. Which they still should have gone for, for the record.
0: That's just it's you know that they weren't gonna go for it. Saying it for the record. Fine. Just getting it out there. Fine. It's been noted for the record. Uh DK Metcalf dropping that pass that ultimately ended up being an incomplete pass. Like, just nobody looked good. Russ, but Russ wasn't putting the ball in the right places. There was the ball that was behind DK Metcalf that he had to go back and get and couldn't come up with. I don't think anybody looked very good in the game. Maybe it was the cold, I can't say.
1: I mean, the Seahawks offense track record in, I and mean, this wasn't as extreme cold as the Minnesota playoff game, but. We don't do well in the cold. No, not particularly. I, I think
0: it could be helpful if they get Carson back next week, uh, give Russ another week to potentially be healthy. Maybe he can get the bandage off of his finger at some point. Like, ultimately, there's, even though they are three and six, there's still time to make a playoff push.
1: But there's not a lot of margin for error. There's very little margin for error the rest of the way.
0: Which. The, the D. Eskridge, uh end around or toss or whatever that went for negative four yards and then not being on the field. I understand D. Escridge hasn't played that much. So, like, he's not going to be involved in that many packages. He hasn't practiced with the team for the entire season, whereas Penny Hart and Freddie Swain have. So, like, I get that. But would have been kind of nice having Odell Beckham out there. <laughs> would not have hurt.
1: Instead, we'll get to watch him in the Rams on Monday Night Football
0: returning punts.
1: <laughs> well,
0: I don't know. Just <laughs> it was, it was a long weekend.
1: Indeed, it was. On that note,
0: thanks for listening.
1: Thanks.